Um, brilliant. Good morning. My name's Luke. I'm one of the pastors here at um, Life Church. That was good, wasn't it? It's a bit like, you know, when you're at Christmas and your grand makes you stand up and everyone like looks at the song that you can sing or play the recorder. It's that nice kind of loving family cringiness. Do you know what I mean? I love it. Uh, what's that? Is that not? That's no one. Does no one do that? They're, at Christmas, like your grand makes you stand up and perform. Really? God, put your hand up if you've ever had to perform at a family gathering. Yeah, Oliver has. Okay, I've had a few. I've had a few. Thank you. It's not just me. Come on, guys. Um, I have been part of this church for a year, and um, I have been served in so many ways. Beth and I have been served in so many ways, and there are serving teams that have done that wonderfully. People have made me um, tea and coffee. People have um, blessed me in how they've set things up, in, in just uh, all the stuff that's going on around. But also, people have served me by just saying, how are you doing? Is there anything I can help with? Not on a team, but just their heart has been to serve. And so I personally have been so blessed by this church. As a pastor, I have the privilege of um, often getting to see the things behind the scenes and see how hard people work to love and serve one another. And so this morning is such a joy to do. Uh, it's, it's a departure from our normal um, God Is series that we started in January, where we're looking at the character of God, what his nature is like, how that shapes everything about what it means to love him, trust him and follow him. Uh, and so we, we've got this one week out. Uh, and I think it's such an important week. Now, you may be wondering, what am I going to say this morning? Am I going to pretend that I'm looking at a Bible passage, but I'm really going to say to you, you all just need to do more. You all need to serve up to an extra rota. I hope that's not you, what you go away with. Because I hope that what you go away with this morning is that you see how amazing it is that the Lord and Saviour we believe in if we follow Jesus is one who chose not to be served, but to serve. And that when we come to Jesus and realize that he is the one who lay his life down for us, that as Christians, it is our heart response to an incredible God that says, I want to serve. <laughs> I want to love others like my Lord loved me. And so there are teams that need more, more people to sign up on. And if you think, yeah, I'd love to, come ask me. Come ask Paul. He tends to know more than I do on these things. But come ask us, because that's a great thing to do. But we do it because we realize how incredible Jesus is. So we're going to go to one of my favorite passages. Uh, if you've got a Bible, we're going to be in John 13 this morning. It will be on the screens otherwise. And we're going to look at a, a, an incredibly beautiful time of Jesus with his disciples just before his crucifixion. So let's read from John 13, verses 1 to 5. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it round his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel 
that was wrapped round him. John's gospel is an amazing gospel. John takes the opportunity to zoom in to certain accounts and stories of Jesus' life that the other gospels don't have time to do. They, they have different emphases and, and kind of a different breadth of things. But John often dives into wonderful details that we don't get to see elsewhere. And this passage is a prime example because we seem to find ourselves at the Last Supper. Now, it doesn't say explicitly in the text that this is the Last Supper, the supper just before Jesus was arrested and crucified. But it seems to strongly indicate that it was. Because this is the meal between Jesus and his disciples. It's in Jerusalem. It's just before the Passover, studded with references to Jesus' betrayal, death, and his love for the disciples. And it's the meal before the Lord was arrested, convicted, and crucified. And so there seems to be a zooming in to this very precious last meal that Jesus had with his close followers. And we see in this meal details that we don't get in the other gospel accounts. We see this strange act that Jesus does, where in the middle of the meal, he gets up, and like a servant, he takes off his outer garments, ties a towel around his waist, and washes his disciples' feet. Now, I don't know how you are with feet, because they're pretty gross things, aren't they? But if you, if you lived in the Middle East, even today, but particularly 2,000 years ago, feet were dusty, crusty things, because people had open-toed shoes, and the roads were dirt roads. And so if you just walk from A to B, going about your day-to-day -day life, your feet will kind of get gross, yeah? That's just a normal thing. You think feet are bad today, think about them back then, it was disgusting. But because of that, it was normal custom that when you went to a host's house, their servant or their slave, if they had one, would wash your feet. That's the thing that got really disgusting and dirty, and so the slave or the servant of the house would wash your feet. And so as we read this story... As we start to read between the lines of what's happening, we realize that Jesus and the disciples had sat down to eat, it, to eat together and no one had washed their feet. You can almost feel it in the air. The disciples are looking at each other saying, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. No, it's below me. Because it was below them. That was kind of the, the custom. And yet Jesus rose from supper and washed their feet. It was an incredibly menial job. There's actually ancient Jewish texts that say from around this time that it was actually even below a Hebrew servant to wash the feet. A foreign servant or foreign slave should do it. So this was like, this was just the worst job. Now, now we can laugh about washing feet, but this really was the lowest of the low job. It, it, it wasn't a good one. And yet here we are where Jesus seems to be the one doing it. Jesus shows us here that serving is an act of great dignity. I think we tend to find that surprising. We might say, oh yeah, of course. Oh, it's so lovely to serve others, isn't it? Oh, there's nothing I, I love more than to serve others. But if we really stop and think about it, it's hard to think of serving as an act of great dignity. Rather than dignity, we, we think of low status and low value. Push it further, and instead of thinking of service or a servant, think about a slave. If you think of a slave, we rightly think about not dignity, but oppression, injustice, violation, and indignity. 
Because we know that the one who serves is kind of by definition lower than the one who serves. We kind of know that. Because whether it's out of the person's choice or because they're forced to, their actions and their life are given to another. It's almost saying my life isn't as important as yours, the one being served. And that's what we see in the world around us. It's the esteemed celebrity who's waited on hand and foot. It's not about the person who serves them. It's about the person being served. And it's the powerful businessman who has others at his beck and call. It is the one who is served, who is considered privileged, powerful, and elevated. But Jesus knew differently. Now, I love this passage. I love this passage because it actually, I think when I first read this many years ago, it blew my mind to understand who Jesus was. Because did you notice that Jesus knew a couple of things? Jesus knew a couple of things. Verse 1 says this. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come. This is so important that we know this about Jesus. Jesus, supreme Lord, eternal son of the Father, was never once surprised. Jesus knew the end from the beginning. He was never blindsided. He never had to put into action plan B. Jesus knew what was going on. I wonder what it was like to watch a sports game with Jesus. Because he knew. He always knew what was going to happen. But did you notice a second time where it says that Jesus knew something? Jesus didn't just know what was going on. He knew who he was. I love, in youth work, it almost was once a week when I used to do youth work that we would ask, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? That's like the classic youth question, right? I wonder, what would you prefer, to know what was about to happen or to have peace in knowing who you are? Jesus knew both. Jesus knew who he was. Verse 3 says this, Jesus, knowing that the Father had put all things into his hands, that he had come from God and he was returning to God. Jesus knew all things were his. That's mind-blowing, isn't it? He knew all authority and power was his. If you cast your mind back to the Ephesians series we did as a church, Ephesians 1.22 says this, God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. You see, there was no power or dominion or ruler or authority, nothing past, nothing that was to come, whether in heaven or on earth, that the Father had not and has not given Jesus. All things were his. And so when Jesus knew that the Father had placed all things into his hand, he knew that all things were his. More than that, he knew where he had come from. He had come from the Father's side. As the older Bibles say, from, from the bosom of the Father, he was in intimate relationship with the Father eternally, the eternal Son. Jesus knew where he would come from. He was God in dignity, in deity, self-existence and eternal. And Jesus knew where he was going. Spoiler alert. He knew the end. He knew that he would be crucified and, crucified and raised to life. That every knee would bow to him and every tongue would confess him as the glorified and risen Lord. Jesus knew who he was. It's so important that we know that. 
Jesus wasn't guessing. He wasn't working it out. Jesus knew who he was. Now, this will um, give you an indication of uh, the generation I grew up in. But there was a song by a band called The Streets. It's quite a silly song. And it was called Fit But You Know It. Okay? I don't know. Give me a wave if you've heard of that song. So I get... Half of us, or maybe you're embarrassed. Okay, but there's a, a song called Fit But You Know It. And the, the premise of the song, I'm not necessarily endorsing it. Uh, the, pre- <laughs> the premise of the song was that uh, there's this guy who, who saw a, a, a woman who was very beautiful. Fit was the word he used. Very amazingly attractive. But the irony was he found it really unattractive that she knew how good looking she was. Okay, she was fit, but my gosh, didn't she know it. Okay, so that's the point of the song. And it's so true of us as human beings that when we know that we're a little bit better than someone, that we've got something that you don't have, it's so hard to not make sure you know, to just rub it in a little bit, to just let you know that, uh, well, I'm better. You know, Jesus knew who he was. He knew that all things had been placed into his hands. That's what the gospel writers are sometimes subtle, aren't they? This is in your face. Jesus knew that all things had been placed into his hands and that he had come from God and he would return to God. And how does Jesus respond to that knowledge? Let's read verse three. Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. Jesus, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, who knew who he was, in that knowledge, rose from supper. He went from a place of being served to serving. That was his response to knowing who he was. It says he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus, knowing that all things were his, rose from supper and served. He took the place of the lowliest, most humiliated servant. He did the smelliest, (laughs) nastiest, most undignified job, knowing exactly who he was. Why did he do it? Why did he serve them? Surely the one who serves is is the lower, is the pathetic, is the, the worthless. Why did Jesus do it? Because the world turns its nose up at a king or a leader who is weak or who is mucky, or who is embarrassing. No, that that's not fitting. We want someone shiny and powerful and impressive. But this is why he did it. In verse 1. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Another way of phrasing that, he loved them perfectly, completely. He didn't serve because of indignity. No one forced him. He wasn't in anyone's debt. He served in great dignity. He served us in love. Jesus washes the disciples' feet because he loves them. And there is nothing he would not do. There is nothing he would not do to lower himself that we might be raised up. 
And this humble act of service, this washing of feet, pointed ahead to the very next day, to Good Friday, the day when Jesus would be crucified. The day where he wouldn't just take off his outer garment, but he would be stripped naked and the flesh of his back would be flailed from him and his life would be given as a ransom that we might be saved. Jesus showed us that to serve others in love is to live with great dignity. It is not an act of embarrassment or humiliation. It might look like that to others. It might be perceived by that. You might be marked out as someone pathetic and lowly. But you follow in the footsteps of Jesus who knew who he was and laid down his life for us. I'm going to move on and talk about the next passage, the next part of this passage. But just let that hit you. He knew who he was and he served you. Doesn't it blow the mind? Let's read verses 6 to 8. Jesus came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus said to him, what I am doing you do not understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash your feet, sorry, if I do not wash you, you you have no share with me. So Jesus showed us that to serve others in love is an act of great dignity because it follows in his footsteps. But we also got to know as Christians that we are those who aren't just called go serve others. No, first, we've got to be served. We are the served people. I was chatting one Friday many years ago uh, when I used to work in my office. I was engineering uh, and one of my colleagues you know, you have, the, you have the Friday afternoon chat, don't you? What are you doing this weekend? What are you up to? Lots of you will experience that. And we were talking about it. And I said, well, one of my friends, he is redecorating his living room. And he's asked a few of us from church to go around and help. I thought that was quite a normal thing. And my friend responded to me. He said, why doesn't he do it himself? I said, well, we're just going to help him. Can he not do it himself? No, he, he can do it himself. He just, he just wants help. But well... Well, if he can't do it himself, he should pay for it. My friend was so outraged <laughs> that he would ask for help and, and kind of surprised that I was being taken advantage of, that I was being taken for a ride. The idea of being helped in such a way was so alien to him. He genuine, genuinely was slightly offended. Like, he wasn't joking with me. He was, he was kind of like, you know you're being taken for a ride, mate. Why, why, are, you being, why are you doing this for him? But I don't think he's unique in that view. I think it's hard to ask for help. I think we all find it hard to ask for help. I know I do. There are some things that I really struggle to get help with. Some of them really trivial. Now this genuinely, I'm not standing at the front of church and trying to appeal for you to all do my DIY, okay? So this isn't an elaborate ploy, but I'm rubbish at DIY. I know I was meant to be an engineer in a former life, but I'm rubbish at DIY. And there's a sense I don't like asking for help, because I feel I should be able to do it. You know, it's my job. It's, you know, it's the exact thing my colleague, my old colleague, represent. no, you should do it yourself. Don't be pathetic. There's a pride in me which feels embarrassed that I can't do it and I struggle to ask for help. Peter 
was someone who took things into his own hands. Jesus approaches him, towel round waist, ready to wash his feet. And Peter knows how low that job is. And he says, "You, no, Jesus, no, no, you will not wash my feet. He's strong with him. That's what Peter's like, isn't he? He's strong with him. This is the same Peter who told Jesus when Jesus said, I'm going to die. Just so you know, I'm going to die, but then rise again. Peter said, no, 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 no. You're wrong. You can't die. Famously, Jesus then told him, get behind me, Satan. You know, this is the same Peter. When Jesus was being arrested peacefully, going like a lamb to the slaughter, Peter said, no, got his sword out, cut off someone's ear. He just started lashing out. Peter was the one who who always wanted to try and do the right thing. But the problem was he tried to do it. And time and time again, he didn't trust Jesus that he knew what he was doing. This is a Peter who is so like us. He thought he knew better. He thought he could solve it. But every time he should have trusted Jesus. Now, I need you to turn to the person next to you for a second and say to them, with great, great um, gusto. You are a needy person, okay? <laughs> Say it. Good. All right, you, you don't, thank you, thank you. Order, order. I didn't ask you to elaborate why they're a needy person. That's too much. Okay, but we are needy people. We're desperately, embarrassingly, totally needy. We like to think we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We like to think that we can fix the messes that we cause. We like to think that we can right our wrongs. But time and again, we fail to. We fail to. We've all tried to. And we realise we're desperately needy people. We all are. But do you know the difference between the people who follow Jesus and the people who don't? Because they're both needy. Those of us who follow Jesus recognise Lord, I can't do it. I've tried and I've failed. I need you. We need him. There is no shame in that. We need him. And it's what Jesus said. He said to Peter, if I do not wash you, you have no part in me. He was pointing ahead to the cross where his blood would wash Everyone who trusted in him, whiter than snow. But he says, you can't do it on your own. If I do not wash you, you have no part in me. Because the reality is, for those of us who follow Jesus and those of us who don't, it's only Jesus who can do it. It's only Jesus who forgives us of the brokenness in our life. It's only Jesus who takes the shame away of the wrong that we and others have done. It is only Jesus who reconciles us with the loving Father who made us. We are needy, needy people. He knew who he was, the one who was from the Father. And in love, he saw you and served you. We are needy, but it is his great joy to fulfill our needs. And it is when we realize that we are a served people, Yes, we're a serving people, and we'll talk about that again. But firstly, we're a served people. And it's when we realise that we're a served people that we can start to show the world a different way. So when your colleague offers a hand, let her. Don't be offended. When your neighbour does you a favour, let him. Thank him. 
And when your church family says, let me, let them. Because we need each other. It is not a failing to need help. No, it's a reality. It is a deep reality of every human being. And the beauty of it is that accepting help points to Jesus. This is especially true in the church. Because it's only when we humble ourselves, when we get rid of that pride that says, no, you can't help me. I don't want your help. It's only when we get rid of that and humble ourselves that the church becomes what it's meant to be. I read a wonderful commentary on this passage in John 13 by Bruce Milne. And and he says this, I think he says it so well. In a world desperately searching for the secret of community, this passage speaks most powerfully. It is those who have been humbled at the cross and come to Christ as helpless sinners seeking his cleansing, who are the raw material of the community of humble servants. The cross is both the way of salvation And the key of community, key to community, we must lay down our pride. Stop pretending, pretending that we've got this and we can do it by ourselves. Stop covering, covering up with excuses about the sin that grips us and we're desperate about, but we need help. Stop smiling if the only thing you're smiling about is because you're afraid that others might see how you're really doing. And let's be real. Let's be real because Jesus is here. Towel around his waist. And he's ready to serve us. Jesus is here. And he wants us to realize, Lord, I need you. That he might make us whole. Lay down your pride and let him serve you. He is enough. As we end, let's read a few more verses. I'm going to skip ahead to verse 12. And we'll read um, from verse 12 to verse 17. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer garments, he resumed his place. He said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet... You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Serving is an act of great dignity when it is done in love, but it's also a declaration of the gospel. I do know a dozen teams in the church who need extra people to help. And if you feel stirred to do that, come find out more. But my appeal is this at the end of my sermon. Is it your joy to follow in the example of our Lord's? Do you know the blessing? That's what he said at the end there. You are blessed if you do them. Do you know the blessing of serving as he showed us? Can you see how we, the served people of God, are those who have the privilege of serving others? Because we have a Lord who is looking for hearts that love others as he loves and hands that will serve others as he did. 
And as our hearts are stirred to serve others, let's remember just how grimy feet washing was. Because Jesus didn't call us to serve those who we find comfortable and easy. Those who we actually, it's quite easy to serve them. We are called to love others as he loved. The most broken, the most different, the most sinful and the most difficult because Jesus told us we were blessed if we followed in his example. And it's those exact people who Jesus loved and served. My goodness, it was even you. We are called to serve those who most need serving. We are called to serve one another. Why don't the band um, jump back up? We're going to take communion together as we finish. Because we remember again that the night he washed his disciples' feet was probably the night when he was betrayed. As our pastor said, it was the night when his hour had come. And on the cross, in his body, Jesus took your sin. The most shameful, ugly, dirty things. The sin that is so deep in us we can't even bear to say it. Jesus washed us clean by his blood, if you accept him. There is not a person so stained, so sinful, that his blood is not able to make you whiter than snow. And for anyone who humbles themselves and asks him to serve them, he washes you. The one who knew who he was serves us. So we're going to take communion together. If you're still working out whether you follow Jesus, you're so welcome here. If you're like, I'm not really sure what I think of all this. You're so welcome here. This is a meal that we take. Jesus taught us to take this meal together when we meet together because it's something that declares his death and resurrection. So if you're looking on, bless you. I pray that this will help you kind of see what we do. But this is a special meal for those who follow Jesus. And so for those of us who do, this is his body that he laid down in an act of profound service for you. And this is his blood, the blood of the new covenant, which washes us clean. If you don't have a little serving pot, um, do give a wave. I think the stewards will have um, extra communion pots. Um, but what a Lord we have. What a Jesus we have. The one who chose not to be served but to serve and to lay down his life as a ransom for many. Amen.